Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. District of Conservation is brought to you by Real Camo Girl, a network of women who love to fish, hunt, shoot guns, live the outdoor life, eat wild game, and the like. You can learn more about them at realcamelgirl.com and by following them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Welcome to District of Conservation. Today we are joined by special guest Cody McLaughlin. Cody and I were connected on social media for the longest time, but we finally met back in May, or April I should say. We were both in Dallas. I was on the board of... um, Earth X's 30 under 30 board. He was a winner of that. And we got along very well, given our shared interests in center-right politics and also the great outdoors. And he has become a good friend in such a short amount of time. So I thought it was appropriate to bring him. Here's a little bit on his background. Cody is a noted conservationist and conservative thought leader on public policy issues ranging from hunting, fishing, public land access, gun rights, free market tax, and wage policy, plus the environment. He works for the Prosper Group, where he manages clients, digital communications, and online presences. And he also serves as a trustee of the New Jersey Outdoor Alliance, which helps represent the state's 1.2 million sportsmen in the political arena. He volunteers for several urban-centered fishing programs in his state, teaching at-risk youth and adults in disaffected areas the joys of fishing and the skills to go along with it. I think you're going to enjoy Cody's story, the status of the black bear hunt in New Jersey. He gave a little update on that and many other things. Check out our conversation with Cody McLaughlin. Thank you for joining the podcast, Cody. Appreciate you taking time to speak with me. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for thanks for having me on, Gabs. Absolutely. Describe your background and how you got hooked into the outdoors. Because being from New Jersey, I think most people think Garden State has a lot of stuff. It's close to New York. They're not really outdoorsy. Is that a true uh, depiction of where you're from? So shed a little light on your background, if you can. I don't, th- I don't think that that's the case from the uh, from the you know standpoint of being from the Garden State at all. Like we have so many great things here. You know, one of the most important river fisheries in the on the Eastern Seaboard, Delaware River, which I live two blocks from, um, has been a huge, huge influence on me as an outdoorsman. You know, I I mean. Everything from the shad run to the striper run to smallmouth bass in the summers um, to making great making great wetland habitat uh, habitat for uh, hunting for ducks and stuff in the uh, in the fall. I mean, there's there's no shortage of uh, outdoor opportunities here in New Jersey, and that's evidenced by the by the 1.2 million sportsmen that flock to the state every year or or live here year round um, to enjoy the. Uh, the hundreds of thousands of acres of public land and, and the, um, you know, pretty sizable whitetail population. We have a great turkey population, uh, all these different things. And, and there's just, I, I love New Jersey and, and the outdoors that we, that we have here. Yeah. So how did you get involved in it? Was it something your family did or you just naturally picked up on it? How did, how did you exactly get exposed to it? 
Yeah, so my uh, my granddad has been a huge influence on my life. Um, he's a big outdoorsman, always has been. I, I remember, you know, growing up, hanging on every word of stories from him, um, you know, going out hunting deer with his brothers or, or fishing for smallmouth in the river, Rosedale Lake, up, up the road a piece from, from us. And, um, you know, I just, there's always been a huge outdoor element to our family and, and they luckily and thankfully passed, passed that down to me, um, through, through word of mouth stories and, and stuff like that. And I've, I've always had a, had a big, big love for it. That's good. And you've been doing it for how many years since you were a little, little Gosh, guy, yes. when you were little? I, I mean, I'm 26 years old. So the, the joke should be, I've been doing it for 27. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I I'd say probably in the 22 to 23 year range. Nice. And, and what is your favorite thing to catch in terms of fishing? And then what do you like to hunt in particular? Gosh. Um, so I did this great um, feature story with NJ.com and a local guide who's a really good friend of mine, um, Dominic from Full Draw Bow Fishing, and he does a shad um, uh, charter every every April from April first to April thirtieth, uh, right during that like peak shad run. Um, and I gotta say that uh, that he had a great quote that I wholeheartedly agreed with in that article, and he said. I would rather crank on these things than a thousand pound tuna. Um, and just the shad run is such a huge piece of history here in New Jersey and, and, and all across the Eastern seaboard, especially in the 13 colonies. Like these, these fish were, you know, a, a huge part of the development of, uh, cities and, and areas along the waterways and, and port cities. And I mean, we're important for everything from, from cuisine to agriculture uh, for hundreds of years. So, um, I have great respect for the fish. I love them. I think they're beautiful and they're, and they're just pound for pound, a better catch than, than a smallmouth in my, in my mind. So I, I just love cranking on those things all day long. Yeah. Shad have a interesting backstory to them or, or people view them in a very interesting way. I once went to a shad run in Virginia. That's a really popular political event centered around people enjoying shad, consuming it and drinking wine. Uh, oh yes. We have a shad <laughs> festival here in Lambert Hill, New Jersey, just north of me. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. You have such an affinity for it. And I think you're only able to catch and release it in the mid, uh, where I'm at in Virginia and Maryland. You, you definitely cannot, uh, possess it is that the same in new jersey too because they're the main so strike we have a da- we have a daily limit of three but um, really but that speaks to the, the the importance of the delaware river there's such a it's such an important river because it's one of the ones that's bounced back from for a bunch of these species i mean um what virginians and dc marylanders know as rockfish um we call striped bass um it's just the same thing you know those those fish have a home here in the Delaware river. And it's one of the most important rivers on the East coast for a reason, you know? Yeah, it's very true. It's part of, it's part of the primary diet of the striper too. That's why I think they, yes, rest- heavily, restri- they heavily restrict <laughs> con- uh, possession of it here in Virginia and also in Maryland. Yeah. Um, them and Man- Menhaden. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's really, I mean, I've, I've admired a lot of the work that the TCRP has done on um, trying to close the commercial Menhaden fishery because, you know, I mean, you can't have 
the same way that we go after, you know, when, when we're fishing, we look for spots where there's lots of, um, you know, bait balls and stuff like that. Without forage fish around, you're not going to have a healthy game fish population. Yeah, I know it's a big issue. I think they have a lot of vessels in the Chesapeake Bay and then definitely in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so it'll be certainly of concern for all of us <laughs> to be aware of. Um, yeah, and, and they have done some interesting work on that end too. I want to segue into what you do in terms of your day job. You hold various roles. Obviously, you work with the NJOA. Uh, you were just honored as like the within the top 100 like newsmakers in New Jersey. Explain what your current role is uh, professionally and with NJOA, and then talk about about that honor you just got to. Sure. So um, I uh, work, my day job is as a um, political digital consultant on the GOP side. Um, I work for a great company called Prosper Group. Love those guys very much. I mean, and and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I could not do the things that I do um, if they did not give me and, and value the time that, that I get to dedicate for free to causes that I care about, like conservation, like fishing, like hunting, like trapping. Um, so, you know, they give me time to, you know, they even gave me like a couple extra days this year to, to, you know, get out and, and go hunting and fishing and stuff. And, and so I've been really, really thankful for working with them. Um, and then, um, from a conservation standpoint, I'm on the board and I'm on the, uh, and I'm the lead spokesman of the New Jersey Outdoor Alliance, which is, um, New Jersey's largest conservation focused um, advocacy organization. So we advocate for all the bills and and against all of the bad bills for hunters, fishermen, and trappers in the state. Um, you know, everything from beach access, which is a bill that we just got passed, to um, killing the anti-trapping bill that, um, that an animal rights activist legislator introduced earlier this year after a controversy, to, you know, defending sportsmen in the arena, like uh, the bear hunt, which I, I think we'll be talking about later to, um, to a number of things. So the, you know, the, the work NJOA does, it's an all volunteer organization is really important. Um, you know, we, we kind of have been working really hard, especially over the last two years that I've been on the board, um, putting together a strong and active and vocal coalition of sportsmen. And that actually kind of segues into that uh, award. So we were just honored um, and it wasn't just me. Uh, one other person on my board, Tommy Connors, um, was honored as well as uh, one of the 100 most influential policymakers in the state. Um, and it was because of that work that we've done. You know, it's not because of any any firebrand thing that I said, although <laughs> <laughs> the Lord knows I, I do enough of that. Um, but it was <laughs> it was mainly because we have a strong coalition of of like-minded outdoors and that all come together and, and fight these bills tooth and nail, the bad bills and fight for the bills that, that matter to us. Yeah. It's especially hard given the political makeup of your state, especially the current one. And that's what I wanted to ask you about, because I, I don't think in any memory, because you and I both work in politics and have worked in politics and kind of have a shared kinship uh, given that, because we're kind of, it, it shouldn't be odd for conservatives to be conservationists, but I've never heard of a gubernatorial candidate specifically campaign on his determination to ban black bear hunting. Have you? Can you talk a little no, bit about I, that? Can you talk a no, little bit about that? Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, I it's look, I've said it for the last, uh, I think it's actually a full year now that we've been in this fight with him. 
uh, I don't understand why he's picking this fight with Sportsman, you know? Like, uh, and look, sporting issues, while, you know, and I'm not just saying this is a dyed in the wool GOP political operative. I, I truly believe this. Like, it's becoming more and more a Republican issue because Democrats just don't want to hear what your average sportsman has to say about the science and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still plenty of Democrats, even influential ones. Um, like, I got to give props to Steve Sweeney in New Jersey. He's the, he's the Senate president. He's one of the most powerful Democrats in the state. And he's been a great friend to the NJOA on a lot of these issues, like has helped us buck um, Governor Murphy. And with and without him and the Senate presidency, I don't think we would have gotten as many things done um, during this administration or gotten as many things not done in this administration as as we have. So, I mean, but that, that being said, uh, you know, it's definitely not strange for Republicans to be conservationists, you know, like we invented this cause, um, you know, uh, yeah, okay, the, you know, anti-hunting extremists and the animal rights uh, extremists and the, you know, um, the carbon tax people who, you know, the profiteers who want to make money off of carbon tax um, or tax credits and stuff, like kind of hijacked it from the 70s till now. But I'm glad to see that it's coming full circle and that this started with the, uh, with, you know, the Roosevelt, like, working for the environment because, you know, we care about the outdoors and the shared treasures that we have there and the public trust doctrine and coming back full circle there and working for public access and working for mixed use and trying to make sure that everybody's got this, this, I mean, incredible treasure, more important than gold and silver and oil and all of that stuff. Um, that's right in your backyard. Um, and making sure that we have that for generations to come. So I'm I'm really proud to be part of the new wave of conservatives that's bringing that back to the forefront. Yeah, and I think people are inherently conservationists who may vote Republican or identify as conservative because did you ever see that uh, National Wildlife Federation poll from 2012 that showed that most of the respondents identified as Republican and conservative? So people who think like us politically tend to be sportsmen, but they're not really seen as conservationists because a lot of the political rhetoric is uh, centered around those who actually espouse preservationist attitudes or incline themselves more to environmentalist causes. So I, I agree with you. I think it's good to see uh, that people can be sound conservatives and also champion conservation or even stewardship. I think uh, I was reading or I was listening to an audiobook of Dana Lash's book, Flyover Nation, and she put a good distinction that um, conservatives could be stewards and stewardship is a more preferable term than environmentalist, I think. So I, th- I like that more people are being stewards of the environment and also the wildlife resources we have uh, from there. So, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. It's good. And uh, we have to do a little bit better to, to speak to them, I think, a little more and, and reassure them that they don't have to uh, compromise on their values, which you can. You can be a stalwart conservative and still support sound management practices, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, and I wanted to ask more a little bit about what the status is of the black bear hunt, because that was a very contentious issue, especially right as uh, your governor got into office. So wh- where does it stand now? Because I know his um, environment, uh, your the, the equivalent of your game in inland fishery uh, was very adamant against him, if I'm not mistaken. So so what's the status that um, has access to black bear management been fully cut off? 
is there any chance that it could be opened again and make the distinction of whether or not it was private versus public? Because I think there was a lot of confusion um, over that. So could you explain what the status is of the black bear hunt right now? Sure. So uh, I'll start with what he did. So Governor Murphy unilaterally decided um, almost a year ago to the day today um, to ban black bear hunting on public lands in New Jersey. Now, so there's two funny things about New Jersey. For the first uh, first funny thing is that we have the, the strongest executive, the strongest governor in the, in the entire United States. Um, out of all 50 governors, the governor of New Jersey has more executive power than any of the others. The hilarious thing about that is that um, the only other agency that has more power than any other agency in America is the Fish and Wildlife Council. <laughs> so while we have the strongest governor, we also have the strongest Fish and Wildlife Council. Um, and that was through uh, done through a piece of legislation that actually granted a lot of the powers um, that the legislature has to the Fish and Wildlife Council itself. And... So that's elected through um, – so there's one governor's representative um, that's, that's appointed directly by the governor. Um, there's six representatives from the um, Farm Bureau on the council, and then six that are elected by the New Jersey State Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs that are then confirmed by the governor um, on, the, on that council. Um, so uh, sportsmen have a really – really great say in as we should truly um in in the issues that matter to us that's why governor murphy did not have the authority to close all lands in new jersey to black bear hunting so right off the bat he only closed it on public lands and that's because um he didn't have the power to close them on all lands and he realized that so we um the njoa and a coalition of sporting groups, the Sportsman's Alliance, which I, I believe you've had on, on this podcast before, and the Safari Club International have come together, and we've been pursuing uh, litigation to reopen black bear management in New Jersey because, and for no other reason, like, yes, we're, you know, we love bear hunting and we love our bear hunters, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, even if there were, like, bear hunting wasn't one of the things we cared about. The science dictates that bear hunting is the only way to control the population in New Jersey that's, that's effective, right? So, like, I mean, there have been plenty of talks about, you know, from anti-hunting extremist organizations that are pushing for this ban and putting political pressure on Murphy um, uh, to try vasectomies and all other kinds of nonsense. And, like, look, like, I don't think I have to tell your listeners uh how laughable that is as a concept but like <laughs> just just to get a chuckle in like staten island is paying 12 million dollars per per individual reduction in deer um uh in the deer population 12 million dollars okay uh for, for each one while like a a a hunting a hunting permit um you know all said and done with rifle, shotgun, bow and arrow, and then the bear permit in New Jersey is like 60 bucks or so um, for a resident uh, to get that. Um, to get and, and that's 60 bucks going to wildlife conservation, not $12,000 coming from wildlife conservation to pay for that. Um, so, I mean, it's, and that's not even 
counting the the excise taxes on gear and stuff like that. So I just the notion that that any of that is is plausible is beyond me. Um, so at the moment we've been stalled. We uh, we are moving through an administrative law judge at the moment, um, and we have a hearing uh, for later this year. So we're hoping for a positive decision before the December bear hunt of this year. That's good to hear. Yeah, because I know that angered, and rightly so, a lot of people, um, just because they are, black bears are not extinct. They're not even threatened. They're actually the least concern, I think, on the uh, IUCN list. Yes. So black bears are fully recovered. A management system in place doesn't deplete the population, and especially in New Jersey, because they're wandering much like here, but I think in, in Jersey, it's a more prevalent problem. You guys have bears like wandering to Princeton and all these other places. Oh, and the bears sighted in all 21 counties in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah um, they, they're very prevalent. Yeah. And, yeah. and they need to be managed or else it's going to lead to a lot of human bear conflicts. That's 100% correct. Yeah. And yeah, you'll have to keep me posted on that. And then maybe we can revisit that uh, later on once the trial and all that uh, and the hearing um, goes on. So I definitely want to bring you back on potentially uh, if, if there is a cool update on that or definitely write about it and have you uh, participate in it again in, in some effort. But I wanted to ask you about your recent trip to the White House where you went with our friend Cyrus Baird. And you were joined actually by a lot of conservation organizations to hear from the president and even Secretary Bernhardt about the status of uh, their environmental and conservation policies that, that they've laid out. So tell us a little bit about what that was like, what the experience was, and um, talk about the bait tackle shop owner from Florida, because I love that you highlighted the importance of those small business people. And I think you said people mocked him for speaking up uh, during that presentation. So talk about that experience and, and your impressions of it. Sure. So, I mean, first of all, it was huge, hugely important experience to me um, as a conservationist and somebody who's, who works really hard every day to make a difference, um, you know, at least in my home state, if not other places to, um, to be invited to the white house to, you know, hear the, uh, hear the president speak about these things that matter to me. Um, one of the huge things I had to give him up on, is uh is that he he took the time to invite a person to the white house who was not a talking head he was not a you know um uh what's what's the what's the term like a a you know big brain person that's talking about um these issues policy yeah, wonk like yeah policy wonk he's not in the weeds like this is a guy that whose business was affected who's not his business, but his livelihood, right? Like he runs a bait and tackle shop. He does fishing charters on the West coast of Florida. Um, like this is a person who's, who's got skin in the game um, of these issues. And I was more honored to hear him speak about how these issues affected him. Almost, you know, he was talking about how it hurt his marriage and how his wife and him were fighting all the time. And like how after, um, after hearing about a lot of these things at the, that the president were doing that it would, that it really helped his business and his livelihood and, and just the way that he lived his life. And I, I was really glad to see those, those small mom and pop tackle shops represented because there were people like the CEO of Bass Pro Shops and the CEO of Ducks Unlimited and, you know, guys like Cyrus from Safari Club and me at NJOA and guys from everything from Pheasants Forever to like the sport fishing 
Council, like everybody in conservation that is a policy wonk, talking head, expert, quote unquote, in the industry was there. Um, but like those people didn't get up and like just preach to this audience, right? Like this was a, a real person who, and these, these small mom and pop tackle shops, you know, like I'm a huge proponent of going to them over any big box store. I love Bass Pro Shops, don't get me wrong, but like I love going to, you know, HL's Live Bait and Tackle across the river from me or, um, or Cheyenne Mountain Outfitters, you know, two towns away from me to get uh, my archery gear or my fishing tackle or, you know, anything because those, those stores, that local expertise makes up the backbone of the sporting community and, and we need to support those shops whenever we can. Did anything else stick out to you from that experience at the White House? How would you rate, let's say, the Trump administration and what they're doing uh, for conservation, sportsmen's issues? How, how would you rate them? Are they exceeding your expectations? Do they have some improvements to make? What, what are your thoughts on them? I think them? everybody's got improvements to make. You know, I think there's a few, uh, a few bills that I would have liked to have seen um, passed or given more priority. But uh, I understand that the, the administration's had a few um, roadblocks, if you will. Um, but overall, I think they're exceeding expectations. You know, Trump said it himself. Like there was, um, you know, everything from um, uh, him signing the largest public lands package in a decade, which designated 1.3 million acres, 1.3 million acres, right, of new wilderness and expanding recreational access, okay? Um, all across the nation, uh, his administration's made it a priority to make sure that um, that we're that we're putting power back in the hands of sportsmen that we're that we're mending those fences that that the Obama administration uh, Obama administration um, broke to um, you know with state wildlife agencies with wildlife managers in local areas by you know by abusing federal management of public lands and by shutting sportsmen out you know so we like as a sportsman as a conservationist as a public landowner. Um, I don't think I've had much problems with many of the things that Trump has done. I think, as a matter of fact, he doesn't get a fair shake in the media on the environment. Yeah, I think he's done a good job to restore, especially with Bernhardt, to restore the principle of multi-use and sustained yield and really bring it back to that and then giving the states a little more oversight on department lands. And that doesn't take away from Interior's responsibilities. It's still in the public hands, but it gives them more oversight so they don't have duplicitous laws in place that shut out sportsmen and anglers, like you had mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to notice, and I'm very surprised, and maybe it's the influence of his son that has influenced the president to put in people who understand sportsmen. So I, I've been very much impressed, too, and, and sh- surprised. Yeah, his son, his son actually is a huge outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a lot of the guys on, on uh, the board of the NJ. Yeah, I've met him, on, too. Like, on... Uh, on the big D, uh, to what we call the Delaware river, um, to, uh, fishing, um, along the shore here in New Jersey. Um, uh, his kids spent a lot of time here. So, I mean, we're, Hey, we're proud to, um, to have the Trumps out on the outdoors with us. You know, like, they may not be popular in other, um, <laughs> in other lifestyles, but, uh, but I don't think that they'd find an, un- uh, an unfriendly face or they'd be hard pressed to in the outdoors. Yeah. And I mean, Although we're conservatives, I, I would be fine with anyone, regardless of politics, partaking in the outdoors. And I think we are seeing more people 
uh, even across different uh, political lines, socioeconomic lines, going fishing and hunting. But it's, it's, it is sad kind of going back to an earlier conversation that you've seen at the state legislatures in your own state that a lot of these legislative battles are fought along partisan lines and how a lot of anti-hunting legislation comes from Democrats and pro-hunting legislation comes from Republicans. What, what is your impression of that? Do you think that's going to continue or is um, that going to subside? So yeah. I think we're moving in that direction. Um, although I, I don't mm-hmm. want us to right? like, so uh, I talked to the editor of inside of New Jersey um, uh, when when they gave us the policymakers 100 power list award, um, and one of the things that we that we discussed was just the fact that you know we have a very wide coalition of legislators that support us because of the fact that because of a couple things. Number one, that we educate legislators. We don't you know we don't take the take the bat and the and the tar and the feathers out right off the bat, um, but also because we we realize and, and we educate the, the legislators to make them realize that sporting is not a Republican or Democrat issue. There's plenty of hardcore union, you know, plumber, like lifelong Democrat, probably volunteer, you know, to GOTV for Democrats every year, um, like union members that are like also right after they go volunteering for – or Democrats go out and, you know, probably celebrate by pheasant hunting or, you know, fishing for stripers down the shore or, you know, any of these things. So, like, we've done a good job in New Jersey of educating the legislators about that. And that's why we have such wide bipartisan support from legislators all across the aisle, from Steve Sweeney, like I said, the Senate president, to to Republicans in the state. So, you know, we, we do a good job of making sure that and I think that that's that that's something that we need to hold on to as as tightly as we can now um but as a Republican right as somebody who cares about the outdoors and who cares about these conservation issues what you're starting to see is that like there's so much pressure to avoid primaries that like a lot of these legislators who used to be if not 100% on our side would would be willing to understand us um, are less and less willing to listen to what the average sportsman has to say because because there's this huge media push to write off all sportsmen as like you know the fat NRA guy from down the road. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what I mean. And it's like that guy's voice is important too. Don't get me wrong, um, because let's face it, I am that guy. <laughs> um, but like, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, uh, you're too funny. Um, but but the, but the important but the important part is that we should like more than not writing that guy off like there are more sportsmen than just right. that guy than than just me the guy with the goatee and the and the, you know the Mossberg 500 that goes pheasant hunting every Thanksgiving with his uncles you know what I mean like there's there's so much more to the outdoor community than that and like it just taking the taking the extra time to educate them about that um, is, is really going to make the, make the make or break difference for us in these years to come. That's true. And I think there was just a report released from the recreational boating and fishing foundation that showed that participation from women and Hispanics was actually at an all time high. 
so that's that's cool. And I know if women are joining hunting at pretty fast ranks, it's a little harder uh, for non-white demographics, but I think they're trying to make inroads, the industry at large there. But uh, fishing is having a little easier time reaching non-traditional demographics, which is very good to see. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's the, I mean, it's a cool thing, right? Like I, um, like for instance, I'm Puerto Rican, um, but like the, so a lot of the guys though I hang out with down the river here in Trenton, um, you know, especially during this shad run and the beginning part of the striper run before they get up above Washington crossing, like those guys are like, I mean, I'd say 90% Hispanic or Im- uh, immigrants from, uh, Eastern Europe, you know, Russia, the Baltic States, um, but those guys, you know, same thing. There's there's just as much love for for the outdoors from those guys. Um, it's just like like you said, you know, we have to do a better job as not just an industry, but as a lifestyle, as a as a group of people that you know, because that's that's really how people get into hobbies, right? Like, um, I, I think you know, any Bass Pro Shops and all them could come up with all the best advertisements in the world, but um, but if if you don't have someone to kind of help you get started in hunting and fishing it's it's difficult to yeah. pull that trigger no pun intended and it can be done authentically um, without what we see so, in politics people just appealing you know inauthentically but i think it can be done by just showing people i've showed three friends of mine who i took fishing this year uh are not white and they come from diverse they come from city backgrounds and they all loved fishing with me and it was a lot of fun and i didn't pick them because they grew up differently than me but they expressed to me they wanted to go fishing and I showed them how it is. And they're just like, this is really cool. I can do this. Like in spite of whatever they may have been told or despite kind of their upbringing. Um, so you can just naturally bring on people who are your friends and be like, come enjoy fishing or come enjoy hunting with me. Cause you're going to like it. You like eating fish. You're going to like catching it too. Uh, well, and that's the important part, you know, that, uh, that, that people, you know, tend to overlook you know it's we we treat it like oh you have to convince people to go fishing with you and it's like ah, actually fishing is fun like that's why we do it like you know we don't do it because uh, of any other reason than we love it like so it's just helping people understand that like that you know above all that like crap about you know being uh, you know animal rights extremist or whatever people are brainwashed into thinking these days, like that these are just fun, fun traditions that, that we have been doing as a people for, and, and a, and a people, no matter what your skin color is, what your sexual orientation is, what your, what your gender is like, this is something that we've all been doing together, enjoying the outdoors, camping, hunting, fishing, trapping since time immemorial. Mm -hmm. It's like the oldest sport, you know? Older than football, older than baseball, older than any of that stuff, and and far more important, if you ask me, to the to the fabric of the culture of not just this country, but like but us as a people. Right, and the outdoors should unite people. It should bring together people from political lines, racial lines, socioeconomic lines, and really just just make people enjoy things. Because when I we go fishing, as you know, you put your worries away, you have fun, you cast a line, and you hope that there's something good at the end of it, or that bites your bait or your lure or, or your fly. If you do fly fishing and it's supposed to bring people together. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, those are activities that should be bridging people to get bridging the gap and bringing people together. And it's sad that like uh, we see from, let's say animal rights extremists and inv- radical environmentalists who don't support those acts altogether, especially hunting and su- to an extent fishing too. 
that just kind of want to divide people saying like you can't do this activity because it deprives animals of their livelihood or baloney like that, as we know, the usual talking points. But I think those activities can bring people together um, across different differences. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, that's and that's what I've tried to dedicate my my adult life to is is helping people to understand that, you know, from, from volunteering with Hooked on Fishing, Not on Drugs to, you know, with the NJOA um, to, you know, trying to get more people involved in the outdoors through the Becoming an Outdoor Woman program and, and other things like that that we're doing from from an innovation standpoint in New Jersey. So, you know, our three... Um, Recruitment, retention, reactivation. Recruitment, retention, Yeah, are really, really important um, because and it's not just for the future of our sports, right? Like, like trust me, as a fisherman, like, <laughs> I'm all too happy to sit there by myself um, <laughs> in my secret spot and, like, have no one else ever find it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I'd be depriving those people of, of the same, you know, sense of joy and peace um, and tranquility that I get from that, you know, from, from sitting up in a tree at, at five o'clock in the morning, watching the sunrise, um, to, you know, to being out on, on smoky, foggy water in April, um, you know, freezing my butt off, uh, holding a hot cup of coffee and waiting for a, waiting for a shad to, to hook my line, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a feeling you cannot underestimate, and I think some people don't understand the concept because I've had people tell me, well, what's the appeal of sitting and waiting until something bites your line? I'm like, there's a lot of excitement in between. You could talk to people. There's camaraderie. There's snacks. There's food, coffee, a lot of things that you can enjoy simultaneously while fishing. You can be on a boat. You can be on a shore, shoreline. You can be doing a lot of things while fishing. So it's not as boring and bland as some people like to think it is, but yeah, and even if it is like, hey, oh yeah, times I've sat there for twelve hours and, and not seen a bite. But even when it is boring, I'm telling you, what keeps me going is waiting for yes. for the moment that it's not boring because because when it's not, it's not, you know. Yeah, it's it's exciting and exhilarating and builds lifetime memories. What do you have on your radar for fishing and hunting this fall? I know fishing can be done year round. Uh, but I was curious to know what you had going on for you. What are you planning to target uh, this upcoming fall season, I guess, for both? So um, so through the summer, I've been working real hard on um, on fluke. Um, and I went link fishing the other day. Didn't have a whole lot of luck. Um, but uh, I think I'll be trying that again. Um, I'm do- going on a tuna trip, which is a first for me this year. Um, so... I, I'm really excited about that, going with some guys from the board of the NJOA. Um, and then for the fall, um, you know, archery season can't come fast enough. It's the first season to open up here in New Jersey. Um, hoping for, uh, for, for a nice couple deer in that first uh, opening week. Um, uh, obviously going to be um, going to be going after... If I can uh, find some private land uh, to hunt here in New Jersey, going to be going after some black bear with uh with some with some fellow hunters here in jersey and then um after that i'll be um i'll be real excited to uh to get back to you know some of the stuff i love I, I'm, a, I'm a small game hunter you know I, I like going after squirrels i like going after um rabbits i like going after pheasants 
Um, so, so that's always fun. And then, and then obviously sprinkle in a little bit of, a little bit of fall striper fishing off the shore, um, will be, will be fun. That's very exciting. Where can people, where can people connect with you and follow your work, uh, with the NJOA and, and other things? Sure. So I write for two uh, organizations right now, BearingArms.com. Nice. Uh, Cam Edwards is awesome. Great organization. Actually, Cam, yeah, Cam Edwards just just became the editor there. Um, so I'm real happy about uh, uh, about that. Um, so you can you can find articles from me um, up there. I write for the NRA's Hunters Leadership Forum. Real important. Um, uh, Real important website you can find at nrahlf.org. Um, Karen Mehal from the NRA runs uh, runs that organization, and then they also are very deeply entwined with the American Hunter mm-hmm. magazine from NRA. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at uh, at McLaugh nineteen. Um, I don't hold my punches though, so <laughs> um, trigger warning there. Um, and then you can find NJOA uh, online at, on Twitter at at NJ Sportsman and um, at NJ Outdoor Alliance on Facebook. So, you know, we're, we're very active. We get a lot of that stuff done, um, you know, so, and if anyone ever wants to, you know, talk um, about uh, hunting issues, especially regarding, um, regarding New Jersey or, you know, uh, saltwater fisheries, um, then, uh, then, you know, feel free. Very to good. Share. And I will put the links to all your social media accounts for everyone in the show notes, if they desire to connect to you. And I, I think people will be interested in connecting with you because you have a very interesting perspective living in New Jersey, you have so much to be proud of for all your work. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and what you've been up to. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me guys. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. If you liked our episode with Cody, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review so we can spread far and wide to a greater audience, to more people, to those interested in learning about conservation and kind of the wave makers in this space. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a guest announcement, any interesting policy updates, and other projects that I am up to or happenings that are happening here in the DC metro area and everywhere else. We're going to have another episode this Thursday, which is a little out of character for me to do, but with it being the start of National Shooting Sports Month, I figured I would do a little primer on why you should visit the range, especially in the month of August, and how you can go about doing that with the resources provided by groups like the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Thank you for listening. Be sure to download, subscribe, and spread the word. Thank you.